Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Grace and peace to each of you in the name of Jesus, from God the Father. Amen. Uh, Let's open up to Isaiah chapter 7. It's page 572. If you're not already there, you can get it on your phone as well if you'd like, or if you brought your own Bible. Uh, We're going to be looking through this prophecy from Isaiah about the coming of Jesus and look into uh, the the bigger story that it tells, which is, excuse me, it's a story of God's unimaginable faithfulness to his promises and also a story of his rescue from, uh, of us uh, from evil families. And so let's uh, pray to our God before we begin. Lord, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into our hearts to enlighten our minds, that we would be able to truly understand and see Jesus, who is the one come to save us from our sins. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our God and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, So we see this prophecy uh, in the book of Isaiah about the coming Jesus. These these prophecies come up just about this time every year in in Advent. And I think a lot of times, I got to be honest with you, they're pretty hard to understand unless you dig a little bit into them and see what's happening because they they come again and again and they're about this faithful promise of God And when we see that promise, we can understand why it's such a big deal when Jesus' birth is announced and why it's such a big deal that God fulfills his promises through Jesus. Uh, Before we dive into that, I'm going to give you a little bit of an image that we're going to come back to a little later in the sermon, and that is one of hiking. I want you to imagine that you're hiking in a canyon, okay? And you can, see, um, you can see the valley, you can see the canyon, you can see uh, water in front of you. And I want you to imagine that um, you don't know how big it is, but that you're actually hiking in the Grand Canyon, like I have a picture here. But on the ground, you wouldn't know how big it is, right? You would just know maybe it goes around the, the next bend, and, may, and then maybe it'll go away. But did you know, if you tried to hike the Grand Canyon from one end to the other, it would take you more than 70 days of hiking, right? But you would never know that just from your perception, what you could see with your eyes. It's when you climb out and you get that greater perspective that you can see how big, how vast, how grand this canyon actually is. And you can actually understand that not many people who have ever lived have ever hiked this whole trail and ever made it through the entire Grand Canyon from one end to the other. Um, That's kind of a picture that we have when we begin to read the scriptures and understand the scriptures. When we encounter God in our lives, we can see his faithfulness just as far as we can see our generation, our lifespan, our days. But the scriptures are written so that we can see the faithfulness of God at a much bigger scale, that we can see his faithfulness over generation after generation after generation, bigger than we can even fathom. 
And when we see how great his faithfulness, it inspires us to be faithful to him. It inspires us to have confidence in him. Indeed, it creates faith in our hearts. So with that image in mind, let's look at Isaiah 7. Uh, Before we get to this text, I want to remind you of some uh, great promise that God had given. God promised to David and to David's uh, descendants that one would come from uh, David that would sit on the throne forever. This is in 2 Samuel. It's the Davidic king, right? The messianic promise. So here's what uh, it says in 2 Samuel. This is to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. Read it with me. Forever. So this is the messianic prophecy, the Davidic king who would come to reign forever. It's a tremendous promise. And so people are keyed into that promise. They're looking forward to this Davidic king. But in David's uh, lifetime, we can see that the kings that came from David, his offspring that sat on the throne, a lot of them were terrible people. They were terrible kings. And they threatened this succession. They threatened this promise. Uh, they, were, they were awful people. <laughs> and it's amazing when we see this that God actually stayed with these people. So a few, few of David's descendants. We can say, well, first of all, even David, David uh, had a, uh, an affair with Bathsheba. You might know the story. Right? But he also had this guy Uriah killed to try to cover it up. Not a great way to start his, his kingship, right? What's amazing is that Uriah was actually one of his close men, one of his champions, one of his fighting men. So this was a colleague of his that he had promoted several times. He killed him so that he could have his wife, right? Not great. The son of that union was Solomon. One of the sons of that union was Solomon. Solomon, uh, one of his sons, right, he married a bunch of foreign women. He was a great diplomat, and he married a bunch of women to try to make peace with the surrounding nations so they wouldn't get attacked, right? It's a common practice for kings. But what he didn't do, he didn't stop them, those wives, from worshiping false gods. So he allowed the pagan worship of these pagan wives to come into Israel. He allowed them to practice. He allowed them to set up uh, high places to worship and to sacrifice, and he watched the whole thing. Well, one of their children, Rehoboam was his name, Rehoboam allowed this to become the mainstream worship of Israel. And so he allowed these high places to be built where sacrifices uh, to pagan gods were happening in the middle of Israel, in the middle of Jerusalem. And also, during Rehoboam's time, he presided over a great civil war where the northern kingdom of Israel broke off from Judah. And so these kings were a mess, and they were undoing all of these things that God had done through David and ruining this kingdom. And then we get even uh, to a little bit further down the line to this king Ahaz is his name. And Ahaz is the one that Isaiah the prophet is talking to in this book. So look with me 
Uh, before we get for our text to today, for today, look with me um, in chapter 7. Uh, so what's going on? Chapter 7, verse 7. There's these two kings that are going to come and attack Ahaz in Jerusalem. So it's the northern kingdom of Israel and also uh, another king. Uh, King Aram. So they're going to come and they're going to kill Ahaz and they're going to take his throne. So that's, there's a threat from these other two kings. And look what God says through Isaiah to Ahaz. He says, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin, and, with 60, and within 65 years, Ephraim, that's the northern kingdom, will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. So, kind of translating that, Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, don't worry about it. God's not going to let you fall. In 65 years, the kingdoms that are threatening you, they're going to be conquered and not you. Now, a little bit of backstory about Ahaz. I mentioned the kings were getting kind of worse and worse. Here's a little bit about King Ahaz. Ahaz got worse and worse, just like his father and Rehoboam. And here's what it says about him. In 2 Kings, it says this. See if you would want to invite this guy to your Christmas dinner, okay? Listen. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaz was 20 years when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God and his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and every, under every green tree. Did you catch it? This king, a son of David, had become so evil that he sacrificed his own son as a pagan offering on the high places that Rehoboam, his father, had inst installed back in Jerusalem and in Israel. So now, let's catch up with the prophecy for today. So, uh, Isaiah is saying to Ahaz, this evil king, don't be worried because I'm still going to protect you and the two nations threatening you will be dissolved. They will not uh, have their day. And then let's look at what the um, the prophecy says, starting in verse 10, it says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, this is rich. Has Ahaz been putting the Lord to the test before this? Just a little bit, you think? And so now he's like, oh, and you know, I know the commandments. I know I'm not supposed to put the Lord my God to the test. Even when God is saying, if you don't believe me, ask me and I'll give you a sign. Do you see? 
He's saying, I'll show you, I'll prove it to you how faithful I'm going to be that you don't have to worry about this. And Ahaz like faints this kind of like false piety. He's like, oh, I would never do that, right? No, I know the commands. And so listen to the response from Isaiah. He said in 13, and he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? He's like, not only are you annoying me, but you are annoying the God who made the heavens and the earth. 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days um, as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. So what he's saying, and this is what exactly what happened, God would bring the king of Assyria to destroy those other two nations and take them off into exile. And so those nations would be deserted. And so just to recap, Ahaz like, I don't want to uh, ask for a sign. And God says, well, fine, I will give you a sign anyway. There's going to be a child born. And before he's old, those two nations you're afraid of are going to be taken away. That's what it says. And this is exactly what happens. Assyria comes down and takes out those two nations, but doesn't take out Jerusalem. Later in the New Testament, this same prophecy is brought up. So in the Old Testament, what we saw was they were saved despite themselves, right? Ahaz and his countrymen were saved even though they were faithless and horrible people. God still held up his covenant with David and with his people. Now, in the New Testament, uh, the same thing comes up. And here's what we read this morning. This is the angel Gabriel talking to Joseph. He says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so compare these two ideas with me. In the Old Testament, the sign of the child that would grow up, right, that was a sign letting them know that God would protect them from those two warring nations. And, and so he did. But in the New Testament, the fuller meaning of this sign is what? that God would protect his people from their sins and save them from their sins, their betrayals, their falsehood, their wrongs. And so this sign from God means both things. I will do exactly what I have said. I will protect you from your enemies. In the Old Testament, it was the enemies of Aram and Ephraim or the northern kingdom And now in Jesus' arrival, this is saying, God will protect us from our sins. He will save us from our sins. So here's what we should, I think, think about as we think about this prophecy coming true in the words of the angel. The first thing is this, 
that God's faithfulness is way bigger than we can fathom. Remember that picture of the Grand Canyon, how grand, how massive it is. No one can really comprehend how big it is unless you see this grand picture. Now think with me about this. God is saying 700 years before Jesus, his faithfulness to David and the kings that came after David still endured. Even if they were awful, awful people, even if they sacrificed their own children, God said, okay, I'm still going to keep my word to you. I'm still going to keep my promise. And I'm still going to bring forth the one who will save the people from their sins through you, despite you. Do you see how great God's faithfulness is from that picture? And indeed, Jesus came to do just that. Who did Jesus save? The people of Israel. The people related to Ahaz. The people who had long rebelled against their God. And had suffered the consequences for it. Jesus still came. How great is God's faithfulness. How amazing is it that he kept his covenant with David even through all of that. Do you see it? It's 700 years. You can barely grasp it with your imagination. God has been faithful to his people through all of that, fulfilled his promise. So what does that mean for you? Many of us struggle with our sins. Many of us have let God down. We've been unfaithful. Many of us have intentionally rebelled against the God who created us. Many of us have lived godless lives as if he didn't even exist. We're more interested in what's on our phones than the God who made the stars. Many of us have intentionally sinned against our parents. We've disrespected our husbands. We've been cruel to our wives. We've neglected our children. We've fallen down again and again. And the, the work of Satan in our lives is to say, you see, you went a little too far. There's no hope for you. There's no future for you. But if you see the grand faithfulness of our God, who never turns back on his word, all of those things are put to flight. Will God forgive you again today if you truly asked him for forgiveness in your life? Yes. He, he does. He will. He has. For this reason, Jesus came to the world to save sinners, not healthy people, sinners, sick people who broke it, who broke their word, broke their promises, intentionally sinned against their God and against their conscience. This is the God who saves sinners and keeps his promises from generation to generation. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning in thee. Our God is faithful year after year. He is faithful to you today. He doesn't change his mind about you, even if you betray him. His forgiveness is new every morning. The second thing I think we should think about, I think there's a picture here. Here it is. It's that big. The second thing we should think about is that God is able to redeem us from terrible families. Isn't that good news? Some of us have had noble families. 
who knew the Lord, who taught us his ways, who taught us how to repent, who taught us about his forgiveness and his mercy at the cross. And some of us have had parents and grandparents who have showed us the way of Jesus, showed us how to worship, showed us how to pattern our lives around his grace and mercy. But then some of us have not, right? Some of us have had parents that have actually made it harder for us to engage with our God because they've been cruel to us or they've been neglectful of us or they simply did not have the vocabulary to talk to us about Jesus and they didn't know him. And so we can be locked into this kind of fatalistic mindset that I just didn't grow up like that. And I've had people actually say that exact thing to me. You know, my parents, we just never went to church. We didn't know the Lord. And I just grew up like that. And so I, don't, I can't change. I can't do anything different. That's just going to be my lot in life is to follow the course of my parents and their parents before them who did not know the Lord. But look with me. Uh, if you're in the book of Matthew, you can turn to it. But look with me at the genealogy of Jesus. These lists of names that every reader doesn't ever want to do. But look with me what it says. This is David's bloodline. David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, the man that David killed. And Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the one who split the kingdom and brought back pagan worship at the high places. And Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph, Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Ahaz is the man who sacrificed his children, who rejected the prophecy of God, that Ahaz. So it's interesting to me that in the New Testament, uh, Matthew in particular, Luke as well, but Matthew doesn't try to hide the sinful people in Jesus's family tree. Instead, he highlights it. Do you see that? He highlights, look how messed up David and his family tree were. Jesus came from them. So what does that mean? Um, it means that God is in the business of saving people who have messed up families. God is in the business of saving people who came from families who ruined Christmas dinner, right? God is in the family of redeeming people who feel like they're locked in to a family heritage, but they're not. He's the one who saves his family from sin. He's the one who offers his hand to people who have never known him. In fact, Christmas is a lot about Christ being born to you, right? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But it's also about you being born to God. Here's a, a few thoughts for you. Here's what it says in John chapter 1. Uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. You want to read it with me? He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The truth is each one of us need to be saved from our earthly families. Some of us have 
skeletons in our closets, and those skeletons have skeletons, right? We all need to be saved from the, the ways of the world, the family that we've inherited, the brokenness that comes from those things. God has saved you from your family through Jesus, and he has brought you to a new family through Jesus, the family of God. There was a man uh, that I used to know in, in uh, Thunder Bay, and he told me this story once of a, a boy around the time of the Second World War who didn't know who his father was. And he, uh, his classmates and those, his peers would always tease him about this. They'd always say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Because he didn't know. And so the question tormented him. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? And even at church, he would go to church as most people did, and his peers would still torment him with that question at church. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? So he got in the habit of leaving church early. He would leave kind of like before the last hymn, you know, so that he could avoid all those other kids who would ask him that question, who's your daddy? And so the pastor saw him running out week after week, and so finally he said, I'll get him this time. And so the pastor snuck outside during the last hymn, and he caught him at the door. And he says, where are you going? And the, and the little boy kind of burst into tears and said, are you going to ask me that too, who my daddy is? And the pastor said, I know who your daddy is. Your, your father is God. And it changed that little boy's heart and his whole life because he knew who his father was now. His true father was God the Father. His true father was the one who created him and sustained him and sent his only son to redeem him. Do you know that man grew up to be a key component of that church and he would often travel from house to house on Sunday mornings to pick up all the kids whose parents wouldn't bring them to church. We have a heritage in Jesus, a heritage in our Heavenly Father. We know who our Father is because of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Everyone who believes in Jesus has been given the right and the status to become the children of God. And so we are. Second thing I want to lead you to is uh, I mentioned that people can feel locked in with their earthly families, that they can't change, they can't do anything different. Look what Peter says about this. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We can feel like, I can't change. I can't do anything different. I don't know anything else. It's not true. You've been ransomed from those futile ways, those ways leading to destruction, and now you belong to the family of God. It might take you a long time to learn how to live in that way, but you know what? God is faithful, and he's patient, and he's a good father who forgives, restores, and teaches us. And this is why Jesus was sent into the world to rescue you and to bring you into his eternal family. And he has won you, not with money or presents, but with gold or with the precious blood of Jesus. This is what makes him worthy of our trust and our faith.
So let's worship him as he comes near to us this Christmas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.